Welcome to Radio Flash with your host Tom Withington at the controls. Space has never been more important to the military. The heavens host spy satellites collecting intelligence and communication satellites letting navies, armies and air forces keep in touch. Yet space is competitive. The US and her allies depend on it much like their rivals Russia and China. Anti-satellite weapons risk spacecraft safety. Meanwhile the private sector is taking on a host of missions once the preserve of the military. To help us make sense of these vexing challenges, we're delighted to be joined today by Dr. Bledin Bowen, Associate Professor of International Relations at the University of Leicester. Bledin is the author of two books on the militarization of the cosmos, War in Space, Strategy, Space Power and Geopolitics, and the recently published Original Sin, Power, Technology and War in Outer Space. He joins us directly today from Leicester. Bledin, good to have you with us. Welcome to Radio Flash. Hi, good morning. Thanks very much for having me on. So let's start at the beginning. Um, tell us a little bit about how you became interested in the militarization of space. So I don't have an engineering or science background, uh, which may read as heresy to some, I'm sure. Uh, but yes, I got interested in outer space. So uh, I watched a lot of documentaries, BBC documentaries and um, sci-fi films as a kid, uh, Star Wars in particular, but plenty of Star Trek as well. Um, and when I went to university, I got into international politics. Um, so my bachelor's was in international politics at Aberystwyth University in Ceredigion, West Wales. And as part of their international politics programme, I got into war studies or strategic studies. And if you want to understand modern warfare, you can't really ignore the role of American space technology and the way the US military uses it. So that's when I realised, oh, I can actually do something about space in my academic studies um, and not be laughed at without it just being about fantastical sci-fi scenarios about the politics of, you know, architecture on the moon or Mars or things like that. Um, so so that, that's really how that came about. And everything that I did uh, in my postgraduate studies um, was about space when it came to allocating my own assignments. Uh, so, and got lucky enough to do a PhD fund, uh, to do a PhD with full funding from the Economic and Social Research Council, and then was lucky enough to land an academic career at the end of all that. I'm still focusing on space today. You're in good company being a sci-fi fan here, definitely. I can I can promise you that. You've published two timely works on space militarization. I was wondering, how does Original Sin differ from your first book, I believe, which was War in Space? Yeah, so the first book was um, an adaptation of my PhD thesis, which is quite a dry academic tome on military theory and military philosophy and ideas as applied to outer space and the way we can think strategically about space. Uh, so Original Sin, the second book, by contrast, um, has a more of, uh, well, hopefully a wider appeal to, to more readers. So it's very interdisciplinary in its in its approach. So it's got a lot of international history, um, a bit of IR theory, a bit of tech, 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 science and technology studies, um, some post-colonial history as well. And there's a lot more what we could, what we call normative arguments in there as well. So arguments about uh, what I'm annoyed about in the state of politics and space and how people talk about our space. So original sin starts uh, really with you know, an overview of seventy years uh, of globe of the global space age of what different countries have done in space. So it looks in depth at the militarized origins or the original sin of space technologies in not just the superpowers of the Cold War, but Britain, France, India, China, and Japan in particular, to really try and push the whole global space age idea that 
space was never just for the two superpowers of the Cold War, even in the Cold War. And the book ends sort of where the first book goes into more detail. So at the end of the book, in the third part, um, it goes into the more contemporary politics and strategy and warfare questions, of which my analogy from the first book, which is on the cosmic coastline, that we should see Earth orbit more as a coastal environment rather than a high ground um, or some wide open new ocean. That sort of is where the first book ends. Um, and then if people haven't been put off in reading the first book, they can have a go with the second book, which really goes into detail about the current state of military thinking and theorising about outer space. Now, almost since the dawn of the Cold War, um, as we both know, space has been used as a domain for SIGINT collection, um, for example, something of great interest to the podcast and to Armada in general. Um I was wondering how you feel this mission is changing, particularly in light of the increasing private sector involvement we've had in that area in recent years. So there's been a lot of attention on the role of the private sector, especially after um, the, you know, the events of the past year in, in Ukraine. And from my perspective, which is about politics and strategy, I don't find it particularly interesting, to be honest. Um, I find it just variations on a theme and they're things that have been politically around for a long time. The use of um, private assets or private actors in military or security activities, you know, is not conceptually and not legally new. And all that matters is the governance of those technologies because uh, some people really think that private satellite communications in Ukraine is transformative and a brand new thing when commercial space systems have been used by the US military for a long, long time and also supplied to third parties, you know, beyond the US military as well for a long time. So, um, and, and different countries have been modernizing their own armed forces by buying services on the global market, i.e. Inmarsat, for example. You know, a lot of navies are buying services off Inmarsat, which is technically a commercial company. Um, so what's exactly new there from a political and strategic standpoint and possibly a legal standpoint? Um, I'm not entirely sure. So uh, civilian assets have been used in war for much longer than the space age as well. Um, so, I mean, do we really need to go back to uh, looking at, uh, you know, privateering or piracy at seas to think legally, politically, strategically? These are things that we have the concepts to understand already. Um, so I don't see it as something new. It's interesting in terms of how they're being used on the ground. Um, but in terms of the fact that a private actor or their private assets, it doesn't strike me as anything particularly new or interesting. Let's zoom out a little bit and and finish off by looking at the militarization of space more generally. And what kind of trends are you identifying uh, for the future? What's happening? What's on the horizon? So I think if people are to understand things better in future, we I think we have to stop talking about the militarization of space. Space has been militarized from the very start, and that is the the argument of original sin, because um, even after um, the um, or p- perhaps because of the formation of the U.S. Space Force a couple of years ago in the United States. Um, lots of commentaries about the militarization of space today and how only now is space becoming militarized when that is the opposite of what's true. Space has always been militarized. What is happening is that more countries are more interested in developing militarized aspects of their space sectors or space activities or developing military space hardware. 
So you can talk about certain countries perhaps militarizing their interests or their policies in space, but space as a place itself has always been militarized since humans started using it in any practical everyday sense um, for anything other than <laughs> astronomy or uh, navigation by the stars, really, although that, that's still, you know, for military purposes. So um, so I, I think, you know, with more and more countries getting involved in various military aspects of space, we're just going to see the further normalisation of it. It'll be seen as a less exceptional thing. And, and space has been used by many smaller military and political powers for a long time anyway, just now that it's more in mainstream journalistic and, and mainstream defence journalist coverage uh, as well in a way that it wasn't, say, 10 years ago. Um, so the normalisation of um, military space activities is possibly what I see coming out at the end of this. And different countries are doing more now. I mean, we're looking at South Korea is going to be very interesting to see what they do. And, you know, they are responding to the reality now that North Korea is going to be a nuclear power with lots of nuclear strike options. Um, and they are looking at various ways to adjust their military posture in various ways. So whether it's conventional missile strike um, or, you know, perhaps nuclear weapons as has been, as has been teased by uh, the South Korean leadership. If they want to do things more independently, they're going to need more of their own space assets and infrastructure, and they seem to be investing the money to doing that. But that has a lot of applications throughout. So, um, yeah, so 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 it'll be inter very interesting to see where um, more countries are realizing that space has just a lot to offer the high technology industries and are less shy about perhaps military elements to it now as well. Well, Blenin, I always finish any conversation with you knowing far more than I did at the start. And it's always a real pleasure to catch up. So thank you very much and uh, for joining us today. And um, I'm sure we'll be having you back on the podcast again soon. Uh, thank you so much for, for the nice chat. And don't forget, you can order copies of Bledin's books at all major online retailers, and it's available in all good bookshops. And of course, there's more electronic warfare and military communications news and analysis at armadainternational.com. That's all we've got time for. Thanks very much for listening.